it felt like there was this um, higher dimensional entity checking me out, like saying, okay, like this part looks good. Let's do this here, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you're essentially getting confronted by a lot of material in your unconscious mm -hmm. and working through shit. You know, like I, I had a lot of experiences with uh, dead relatives and I thought I had experiences of past lives. And it's like, not necessarily like, this is your past life, Joe. It's like, huh. It's a really familiar scene that feels like it was mine. And by the end, it was like three to five hours, probably more like four and a half. And I, you know, everything was so beautiful when I was done. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, all my day-to-day -day bullshit that I put on my brain is like kind of lifted and, and I'm kind of calm and chill now. Oh. And this is really nice. I, I went in with kind of like a little bit of depression. I wouldn't call it severe depression, mm -hmm. um, but. Yeah, I wasn't doing great. I was probably drinking a lot more than I should and a lot of stuff like this. They smoke a ton of weed um, at that point. It and really changed my tune for a long time, probably six to nine months of really, really highly beneficial kind of mental states. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that reimagines what society considers normal. Each week, I interview different guests about the topics that they're most passionate about. And this week, I had the opportunity to dive into a subject that I've been curious about for a long, long time. In recent years, the taboo around psychedelics has shifted, and more and more, we're starting to hear about it in the media. After decades in the shadows, there's a resurgence in studies looking at the potential use of psychedelic drugs to treat a variety of psychological issues. The research suggests psilocybin reduces the brain's response to negative emotional stimuli. In May of 2019, Denver, Colorado became the first city to decriminalize hallucinogenic mushrooms. However, psychedelics such as mushrooms and LSD still remain Schedule One drugs in the United States meaning that the government has deemed that there is a high potential for abuse and there is no currently accepted medical use in treatment. That makes Denver's decriminalization that much more significant as society begins to become more and more informed on the potential benefits and the role psychedelics can have in medicine. Here to join me as I begin to learn more about this subject is Joe Moore, the co-founder of Psychedelics Today. Psychedelics Today is dedicated to exploring and discussing the important academic slash scientific and other research in the field of psychedelics. Joe Moore has spent nearly 20 years studying psychedelics. This is such an interesting topic and we had such a great conversation that I had to split the interview into two parts. Part two is going to be released next week, so there's another reason for you to subscribe and make sure that you get notified when it drops. Check out the show notes for all the links to connect with Joe and to learn more about psychedelics today. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you get notified every time a new episode drops and please leave us a review if you enjoy the content. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at A Pretty Normal. And without further ado, my name is Xavier Diaz and you're now listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast. You're listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name's Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I was looking a little bit into your uh, background and your biography. I saw you've been studying psychedelics for 20 years. 
which is really, really cool because that is a long time to be studying this. And it must be a really cool time right now where there is more like media attention and more um, clinical trials and everything for psychedelics. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got um, the, to the place you're in with psychedelics today and just in general, how, why you started studying psychedelics? Yeah. Um, so a little about me. I'm from a small town in New Hampshire. Um, went to school in the White Mountains at a state school, um, mainly because it was a lot cheaper and I could snowboard every day than like a lot of the other options. So that was cool. Um, learned how to rock climb and do all sorts of exciting stuff up there at the, that point. This is my main focus. Um, I wish it still was my main focus, but <laughs> things have changed. Um, I started with an applied computer science degree in 2001. So I left home early September 2001. And shortly after that, 9-11 happened. And um, first time away from home, like the world's upside down. I'm like, what on earth is happening? I was ready to go like take the express train to the infantry to like help out. And I'm like, this, that's weird. Why, why was that my first reaction? So like, I, you know, I kind of sat with it for a while. The matrix came out right around that point in time. So there was kind of like philosophy in the air, even something like boondock saints with like vendetta. What is that called? Vigilante justice going on. It's like, mm -hmm. what is, what is this? <laughs> like, so there's these, somewhat philosophical movies, like not extremely philosophical coming out. And mm -hmm. So that was in the air and I started uh, my philosophy undergrad and um, in a, I, I booted from computer science to philosophy. And in our very first textbook, this book called Holographic Mind, there was some references to Stan Groff and his LSD psychotherapy research in Soviet Prague. And I was really excited about it and then I was more kind of shocked that this person was saying the story was true. It looked a lot like the exorcist or poltergeist or something. And I'm like, wait, that's real? Like, I, I don't know. I kind of want to call bullshit on that, but let's go dig in. So thankfully my school library had four or five Groff books that I could just grab and dig right into the next day. And um, I was hooked and just started digging into holotropic breathwork. I found some people near me so I started doing that in 2003 or so. And um, yeah, it's just been a fascinating interest ever since. Like, mm. okay, it's, we hear about these mystical states, but now we can almost kind of program them. Um, mm. and, and people can have these experiences. And um, what does that mean? And like, what is normal consciousness when we can have those things happen to us? And so, mm -hmm. you know, through the course of my, philosophy program of studying, you know, Indian mystic mysticism, kind of Chinese philosophy, and, you know, Western mysticism at the same time. So it's kind of like getting steeped in a few pools. Um, and yeah, I just, I think I got a pretty well-rounded education there and just kind of stuck with it. And uh, a few years later, I was living in, uh, where was I living at the time? I think I was here in Breckenridge, Colorado. And I had a phone call with Kyle, my co-host, co-founder um, of Psychedelics Today. And, you know, we kind of liked each other, you know, talked about snowboarding, talked about psychedelics and breath work. And I said, you know, let's let's check back in in a few months. And we I, it might have been a full year. And then we started Psychedelics Today with the intention of bringing Stan Groff, who's a really important um, psycho or psychiatrist and um, theorist to us. 
we wanted to bring him back into the psychedelic conversation and holotropic breathwork back into the psychedelic conversation, both of which seem to be getting lost in the kind of frenzied neuroscience approach to psychedelics, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Awesome. And hopefully I answered all your questions here. Yeah, no, definitely. You gave me a lot to work with. Uh, for listeners who don't know, what is holotropic, holotropic breathwork? Am I saying mm-hmm. it right? Yeah. So you can say it either way, holotropic or holotropic. Either is fine. Um, it is a breathwork method that was developed shortly after LSD psychotherapy became illegal in a research setting. So mm-hmm. LSD psychotherapy was happening for ages. Um, it's probably the most researched drug psychiatric drug ever for a while. And uh, so Stan Groff eventually started hanging out with these folks in um, coastal California who were doing all sorts of new agey stuff like shamanism, yoga, um, experimental psychotherapy. And he's like, that looks a lot like the LSD sessions that I ran, like what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And eventually he and some others, his wife at the time, Christina, kind of synthesized this method of accelerated breathing with music in a safe supported environment followed with some body work, artistic expression, and some group process that just was a really magical thing. So the session will go for anywhere from one to five hours for the individual. Typically we try to do three hours. Um, And you can have very extreme psychedelic states that are quite healing in these workshops. And Um, that's without taking any psychedelic drugs. drugs. That's it's just pure breath work. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I'll have coffee before. But yeah. and it alters your consciousness, you're saying? So my most extreme breathwork experience was as intense as my only ayahuasca experience, which is extraordinarily intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so breathwork can match the intensity of psychedelic drugs um, in their you know, um, experiential effect. Also, I think healing effect as well. Wow. I imagine you have to be with somebody who knows what they're doing to do this. You can't just do this on your own, right? It's something you should take caution for. You should take caution. You can absolutely do it on your own, but you're taking a lot of risks. We don't advise that ever. Mm -hmm. We say you should do it a bunch with other people. Like You're not necessarily getting the full healing effect if you're doing it alone. And you're also putting yourself at risk of something like mania or getting hurt when you're in a weird state. The worst thing that could probably happen is, um, well, one of two things. You leave the building and go run to the radio station or to the police station to tell them the good news. Or, you know, you get really paranoid, think it, it's all like, you know, everybody's out to get you. Or you could just fall down because you're hyperventilating and um, you're, you're a little dizzy, so you could just hit your head, which would be really bad, too. So, like, that's why we always think supervision is really important. Is it easier to access like this, this altered consciousness after if you've already taken like, let's say a psychedelic drug, like, uh, you know, LSD or um, psilocybin or anything? Is it easier to attain those conscious, um, that altered consciousness, like instead of just going straight Mm. to breath work? Maybe. I think people like the safest route and perhaps the most productive route would for people to have like one to five breathwork sessions before taking a large psychedelic dose. Um, I think that's more productive. You're you're able to kind of swim in that water a little bit more. You're a little more normalized or it's become a little more normal to have extreme states near you or inside you. 
Mm. Um, so you're like, okay, like it's fine. But I do like doing breath work with people who have done a bunch of psychedelics first. Um, it seems like they typically slip right in really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that said, it's not a, it's not an every time thing like psychedelics. It's you eat something and it happens. This is, you have to put in a bunch of effort and it happens. Um, putting in a lot of effort to breathe that much. How long does it take you to get into that state of mind? It really depends for folks. I would say anywhere from like, I had it before I even like sat down on the mat before, like I was having like full on body shakes before I even started breathing. What is that? That was a one time situation. Uh, it was really interesting. It's a, kind of like I had too much coffee. Like there's something going on in my body. Um, and it's just like a, it's coming on. Like I'm feeling kind of like uh, my body is doing something. And I don't know exactly what, but I'm going to trust it because I'm here in a breathwork environment. So I know I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I laid down, closed my eyes. It was full tilt visionary experience for like five hours. And five hours. Wow. No drugs. And no I think drugs. what happened was I had been doing so much breath work for years before that. And my body was ready. There was something that just wanted to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my body just recognized the container, um, the group of people I was with and said, sure, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, then it happened. <laughs> so, so these it, things can happen spontaneously. It doesn't, you don't need to necessarily even be breathing heavily. You just need to like, well, I think for most folks, you do need to put in effort or have drugs or something. But, mm-hmm. you know, on occasion, spontaneous stuff can happen to folks. So before you started psychedelics today, had you done psychedelics already or you were just doing the breath work? Um, yeah. So we didn't start psychedelics today till what, 2016. Mm-hmm. I started holotropic breath work in maybe 2003. Um, it was... It's kind of a weird path because I started growing mushrooms way back then. I didn't really eat them. Um, I, you know, I tried here and there, but I never went for it. At you first, major, for... yeah, growing them, hanging out, like trying to give them to my friends. They all loved it, and <laughs> like I, I had a great time growing. It was, it was really awesome. Like, I suggest people grow mushrooms, even if it's not psychedelic mushrooms, just because it's a cool experience. Why? Just the experience of growing something, dude. You're a great friend. Like, I would love to have you as a friend <laughs> if you were just growing shrooms to give to us for free. Yeah, <laughs> charge people money. Um, and yeah, it was really cool. I, I loved it. And um, so it took me years before I had an experience like full on psychedelic experience. I think it was in 2009, maybe where I had a really intense ayahuasca session in the States. Um, so that was kind of my major turning point, I think, and in my life was that. And then I kept doing breath work after that, too. So it's like, you know, you have the major thing and then you come back to the thing that's yours, the breath work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who's who's really, if anybody should be drinking ayahuasca monthly, you know? Like <laughs> For listeners who don't know, what is ayahuasca? Ayahuasca is a tea essentially made from two plants in the amazon jungle there's a lot of variation in it but essentially it's a plant that contains dmt which is not normally oral uh, orally active and then another plant that has this type of content compound called an maoi monoamine oxidase inhibitor which actually stops your body from being able to break down dmt quickly Mm-hmm. So the DMT has a chance to go in your body and um, 
give you a pretty strong experience. And this is a really reductionist thing here. Like there's a lot of compounds in Iowa. That goes into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, can you grow that here in the United States or you have to have that imported? It grows in a lot of environments. I know people in Colorado growing it. I know people in oh, Hawaii growing it. Mm. Um, typically you'd have to grow it inside, like, but it grows like crazy in the Amazon, um, mm -hmm. Peru, Brazil, etc. Um, and what is the um, the psychological like? What is the the effects of that? I I don't know too much about ayahuasca. Uh, I know about cool. uh, psilocybin and then LSD. But yeah, what what are the effects of um, ayahuasca? So a lot closer to mushrooms than LSD, but it's um, it depends on the dose. If you're having a heavy dose, it's like a fully psychedelic, if not mystical experience. It could be really scary. Could be really blissful could be really confusing. Um, like I, I'll share a little bit about my story. Like for the mm -hmm. first half hour, it was about as um, terrifying as I could have imagined anything being. Um, going in, the guy next to me said, it's really nice to have you here next to me. It seems like, it seems like you've done this a lot. I was like, no bro, it's my first time dude. <laughs> Did you know him? No, not at all. No, oh, it was a full room of strangers. There's a lot of people. I would probably want to do it with less people next time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so very scary. It felt like I was gonna, you know, lose my eternal soul. Um, it felt like there was this um, higher dimensional entity checking me out, like saying, okay, like this part looks good. Let's do this here, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, like I started puking. There's, uh, there's typically a vomiting period um, with ayahuasca and um, people really like it often um sometimes it's horrible sometimes there's diarrhea and i i don't know how i would do with that um but <laughs> just kind of ride it out tripping. yeah super hard like it's not like i haven't had diarrhea at a fish show but you know, <laughs> a different scene um but yeah you're essentially getting confronted by a lot of material in your unconscious mm -hmm. and working through shit you know like i i had a lot of experiences with uh, dead relatives and I thought I had experiences of past lives and mm -hmm. it's like, not necessarily like, this is your past life, Joe. It's like, huh, that's a really familiar scene that feels like it was mine. Wow. Um, I have no way to really verify that. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, and by the end it was like three to five hours, probably more like four and a half. And I, you know, everything was so beautiful when I was done. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, all my day to day bullshit that I put on my brain. is like kind of lifted and, and I'm kind of calm and chill now. And this is really nice. I, I went in with kind of like a little bit of depression. I wouldn't call it severe depression. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I wasn't doing great. I was probably drinking a lot more than I should. And a lot of stuff like this. They smoke a ton of weed at um, mm -hmm. that point. It and really changed my tune for a long time. Probably six to nine months of really, really highly beneficial kind of mental states. That's awesome. And one thing that I've been I've been hearing more, I feel like lately is people saying like there's no such thing as like a bad trip. It's just your mind like confronting things that maybe you didn't want to deal with uh, in the first place. And it's bringing it all up. How do you feel about that? I like to use this term. Um, psychedelics are nonspecific amplifiers of <laughs> mental process. So anything in you could come up. I like to say that the thing with the strongest charge in your subconscious is the thing that's going to come to the foreground. Mm -hmm. And it could be something, you know, as bad as being raped or, or in like a horrible accident, like IEDs and in Iraq or whatnot, but it could be as, you know, simple as, 
when your cousin took the toy away from you or picked on you or something, you know, mm -hmm. and you never can tell. Um, and yeah, it can get really scary and difficult. I, I don't know about there is no such thing as bad trips. I like, I, I kind of lean away from that. Have you had bad trips? You know, yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> I've had stuff that I didn't learn much from and that were really horrible. Um, but I, I don't want to say it's a bad trip, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't, and you know, worst case scenario, you, you do get hospitalized. Like you can get put in a hospital, which is horrible. Yeah. So you want to really avoid that. But knowing what you're doing, like learning a lot, like getting education can really help with that kind of stuff. But big reason why we put together a lot of classes. We don't want people to go to the hospital. We want them to stay yeah. outside of that mental health care system as long as is tenable um and as long as they're not suffering too bad like if you're suffering really badly you should go there but um. and on oh, that's a perfect segue so i saw on psychedelics today that you guys do offer classes uh what can people expect uh to learn if they do take these classes and it, i feel like i still need to ask like what made yeah. you both start psychedelics today in 2016 well like what was that driving force that finally said you know what this is something we should put together to educate people um, I had a, a lot of experience with podcasting and, um, I just kind of wanted to do that with Kyle because nobody was really talking about Stan Groff and this, this field of psychology called transpersonal psychology. Mm -hmm. So, um, Abraham Maslow really, you know, people know him for his hierarchy of needs. It's this pyramid. Yeah, like yeah. you should, you know, make sure you're, you're secure and are fed and warm before you worry about self-actualization. Mm -hmm. You know, that was great, but a lot of material just kind of transcended that paradigm. So, like, what do you do with the religious experience? What do you do with, uh, you know, magic or Kabbalah or, um, yeah, like past lives? And, yeah, there's, there's so many different types of transpersonal states, like becoming Shiva. You know, like, what? Do you, how does that fit into humanistic psychology? It really doesn't. Like, you have to have a new paradigm. And that's people from humanistic psychology, Abraham Maslow himself, and Stan Groff, and Jim Fadiman, and a few others, like Stuchich, I forget his name exactly, but I think he's in Europe. A bunch of these people said, okay, like, let's just call it transpersonal psychology. We're interested in these things, and let's go forward. Um, so that stuff isn't typically talked about that much in the psychedelic world. It's, it's typically a lot of neuroscience stuff. Um, behaviorism which is you know pavlov's dogs like you know it's it's great it's effective mm -hmm. and it's easy to study that stuff but it doesn't necessarily make it the be-all end-all um mm -hmm. in psychology psychology is a lot more complicated than you know stimulus response mm -hmm. um so you know bringing that stuff into the conversation was our main objective and mm -hmm. we said you know try it out we didn't really have the intention of making a business but it just kind of happened eventually. This is now my full-time job um, after four years, which is really great. It's awesome. Um, so eventually we said, okay, well, how can we serve psychedelic people or psychedelic interested people um, better than we are now? And why not create a full course? Just like what would we have wanted when we were in our undergrads in college? Mm -hmm. What would have saved us years of time and hundreds or thousands of dollars um for a lot of reasons and this course kind of the first course we came out with which is called navigating psychedelics which is for everybody 
um, that's what we did there. So we gave you kind of like a theoretical understanding for what is a psychedelic experience. We gave you a kind of practical considerations, like how do you make sure you don't have a bad interaction with drugs you're on already or pre-existing health conditions? Um, how do you work around stuff? Uh, how often should I be doing these things? Mm -hmm. How to test for the presence of fentanyl? Um, how to test for the presence of unwanted drugs in general? Um, and how to integrate the experience at the end. So like how to prepare and also how to like bring those lessons inside and make it part of you. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't something else that happened to you. That was part of your lived experience. Mm -hmm. and, and what do you do with that? You know, like after you become Shiva, like that's going to be a little disorienting for a bit. Like what, mm -hmm. do, you, what do you do after or and, Kali or whatever? And what tips do you give? Because that, that's another question I had about integration. Um, so kind of like taking what you learned during the trip and using it in your everyday life. And uh, so what tips do you give for people so that they don't get, you know, super overwhelmed with all these things that they might discover about themselves? So some basics are try to sleep more than normal after um, and before, really. Um, try to eat really well, really healthy foods. Um, if you can get in water and swim a little bit, that helps often. Hot water, like in a you know hot shower, tub, hot tub, pool, whatever. Like those are great things. Being in nature is really helpful. Journaling, super helpful. Not eating drugs super soon after it. Like I did breath work with somebody once, and um, they went to hang out with some other friends after, and it was a one-on-one -on -one session, and they immediately were like blowing lines of crystal psilocybin like mm -hmm. that night like what on earth like didn't you hear what i said for directions mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like let's let the dust settle for a little bit but a lot of people are like oh let's eat more drugs and get closer mm -hmm. to spirit again it's like uh -huh. well no you gotta have this it's it's a tightrope it's not just you can't go full tilt mm -hmm. you know mystical states all the time um so yeah like napping i would say like oh okay that person would probably be fine if they took a few naps here and there but instead, they're kind of just like, ah, you know, like the, the alien people are messing with my water and screwing with my brain through radio waves and blah, blah, blah. It's like, cool, you know, maybe, but you know, why don't you take a couple naps and take care of yourself as much as you can first? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Give it a few weeks. Like, don't make any major like decisions for a few Decision. weeks. Yeah, yeah. You go from there. Um, and hopefully if someone's like not well, they've got some... Um, diagnoses for mental conditions or psychic conditions like see a therapist see a doctor once in a while um like it doesn't going to see a therapist doesn't mean you're going to get on meds mm -hmm. and you know i really think more people should be with a therapist for sure especially mm -hmm. when they're regularly using and regular what i see is people getting amplified so it's like uh like okay you could be really calm but you do lsd like once a week for six weeks at a pretty hefty dose the end of that six weeks you're gonna you know perhaps feel very on edge mm -hmm. um not very calm um perhaps a little more uh quick to react to people yeah uh, like in a negative way maybe mm -hmm. a little more harsh than you need to be it's not always the case but it can happen mm -hmm. so I, I just typically suggest people take breaks take breaks take a nap eat well 
mm-hmm. and generally take care of your body. Maybe get a massage or something because your body is a pretty serious repository for um, trauma and memories and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, all good advice for anyone. Just take care of your body in general. Just in general, right? Right, in general. And then, so the the classes that you offer on the website, is that for just therapists and clinicians or can anyone take it? So we've got a bunch of classes up there. So the, the first one we built is for everybody. It's called Navigating Psychedelics. Um, we've got a couple free ones. We've got one called uh, Psych... Uh, eight common mistakes, eight common psychedelic mistakes. And um, that's just a free class that we want people to take. That's for anybody. We've got a slightly more clinical one called spiritual emergence or psychosis, which is uh, free. And that's just discussing this idea of spiritual emergence um, and how to perhaps avoid bringing somebody to the hospital um, if they don't need it. Mm. Like sometimes stuff that looks like you need to be hospitalized is actually a normal reaction. and you know you got to be really careful with decision making around that and that's just a relatively short course and and people can dig into that material as as they wish and there's another one called psychedelics in the shadow which i think leans a little bit more towards therapists but we've got a lot of feedback from non-therapist folks and it's um based on carl jung's theory about the shadow which is elements of the personality that you're not aware of typically um so anything you're really not aware of and how do we, you know, kind of work with that? How do we bring shine light on those things? And mm-hmm. we've got like eight different contributors to that one, I think. And then we've got this clinicians course, which really is just for therapists and doctors, nurses, etc., PAs, MPs. Um, and that one is like a live course that we do. Uh, it's eight weeks. There's a ton of pre-recorded content, and we use class time to discuss it at length. So it's kind of like the ideal college course on psychedelics. It's kind of a 101, but we go pretty deep, too. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of material. Um, yeah, and it's our best attempt at, like, a foundations course for clinicians, therapists, etc., that are going into this. And we've worked with a lot of um, other folks to record master classes with them on various sub-aspects of the field. Mm. It's amazing that you, you offer all of this because education is so needed. I feel like... Um, we've made a lot of, of headway when it comes towards uh, legalization of recreational marijuana, but psychedelics is a little bit more new to get to like the public attention of all the benefits and stuff. Can you tell me some of the ways that um, I guess clinical trials are trying psychedelics right now and what would be some of the benefits, you know, what kind of uh, demographics, what groups of people would benefit the most from taking some psychedelics? Mm. So, uh, um, kind of a quick research roundup. Um, Way back, I think in the 50s and 60s in Saskatchewan, Canada, LSD was the treatment of choice for people with alcohol use disorder. So, Mm -hmm. people who drink too much. Um, It was also found to be really helpful, paired with therapy for um, people with depression and anxiety, stuff like PTSD or shell shocks, what they used to call it. Today, we're seeing a lot of people use it for cluster headaches. Are are you familiar with cluster headaches? No, I'm not. So exponentially more severe than migraines. Mm -hmm. Um, The code name is uh, suicide headaches. Like people literally kill themselves over these headaches. They just Um, last that long and it's that grueling. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing that a good percentage of people with cluster headaches 
are able to self-medicate with mushrooms at a pretty substantial dose or LSD and they go away. They don't come back for a period of time. And that was kind of just an accidental discovery um, with some people in the cluster headache world. And they brought it to Harvard. Harvard did some great work on that. Um, MAPS is working with MDMA paired with therapy for PTSD, um, mm -hmm. treatment resistant PTSD specifically. Johns Hopkins is like just cranking out research over there um, using psilocybin and other, other drugs um, for various indications from like um, being scared about dying because you've got a terminal diagnosis or a potentially threatening life diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So they're like anxiety, depression, all that comes way down so they can be with their family for a long time mm -hmm. um, before they die or even if they don't die. Um, um, ayahuasca, we're seeing people use that pretty regularly for um, depression, PTSD, anxiety. There's even like a veteran nonprofit where I saw you interviewed them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a very recent interview. Jesse Gould and uh, I forget the other gentleman's name from England, but mm -hmm. Heroic Hearts Project. Yeah, like that's a really great project that will probably get some serious government money in the nearish future, I think. Um, what else? Just so many possible indications. Like one that's really exciting for me. I live in a mountain town where there's a lot of people with head injuries from ski crashes, bike crashes, whatever. Yeah, yeah, all that. Mm -hmm. All that. Like so many head injuries out here. Um, I'm hopeful that there could be some sort of psychedelic intervention for that. Um, what we're seeing is that a number of psychedelics can repair or not necessarily repair, but trigger the growth of new nerve cells or new dendrites on the nerve cells. So like new neural networks can just come up because you're putting these drugs in and it doesn't even need to be a super high dose. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really optimistic and hopeful that people dig into that. Um, Another one I saw you interviewed was um, for uh, rehabilitation of people that are cocaine users. Right. Psilocy that's at the University of Alabama for, mm -hmm. um, yeah, for people who want to use less cocaine. Um, so it's not necessarily like an abstinence project, which is interesting to me. I'm like, okay, are you less freaked out about your use? Do you feel like you're going to die less because you're using cocaine? Like, are you less embarrassed at home about it? And it's, you know, like they're seeing really great results there. Um, mm -hmm. Another one I love is Ibogaine or Iboca um, for opiate treatment. Mm -hmm. So people get hooked on opiates and this drug can actually short circuit um, your experience of withdrawals from these pills mm -hmm. to make it substantially easier um, to get off of pills or heroin or whatnot. Um, a great film that just came out recently called Dosed does a really great case study with one individual who like was really addicted and then went through this program and, and is now clean years later. Mm -hmm. You know, multiple rehabs and they never worked and this one did work. This and this worked. is kind of a pretty continual story. And, and you're That's seeing this, like people in New York, like started it kind of, um, it really comes from Africa, but people in New York were just treating each other like, okay, you're addicted. Let's do a session for you and let's see if I can get clean and you can get clean like outside, totally outside of a clinical setting. And this stuff is very under-researched in my opinion for, for a number of reasons. It's a little dangerous mm -hmm. and people do die on it from oh, various wow. reasons. But if you're going to die for sure from heroin, from heroin, heroin, then mm -hmm. why not try this thing? If you, if yeah. you're sick and tired of, 
using, like try this other thing. Well, this is so psychedelics isn't something like it's you won't get addicted to this, right? Is this like a drug that you won't get addicted to? Because I, I imagine there are people that hear like, well, what do you mean? You're going to get me high to get me off of another drug? Like, aren't I just going to get addicted to this drug? Right. So the founder of AA, Bill Wilson, was really pushing hard to get LSD included in um, AA. And at the time that he tried it, the bureaucracy was too huge. So they mm -hmm. said no. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're we're seeing that people can use this stuff one to five times and essentially not have the symptoms they had before. Mm -hmm. And um in terms of addiction, it's not like you're fiending to do it again the next day necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no physical addiction largely on these things. Like ketamine is the addictive psychedelic drug. Um, it is a non-classical yeah. psychedelic. It's a really interesting drug for, for depression. And there's a lot of actual legal clinical work going on with that um, for mental health. And that's great. But that is the one that's most addictive and has the mm -hmm. most, the highest kind of risk profile there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, largely there's no physical addiction and it's kind of like anti-addictive in that if you try to eat it every day, it's just not going to work as well. Yeah. Like, so less and less effect by a lot, if it, if it works at all. So know? then to play devil's advocate here for people that I guess are against legalization, sure. I think the, the argument they always go for is it'll increase adolescent usage. You'll see more people starting it at younger ages because it's more accessible. Like, what do you say to that? The data shows that when something is legalized, young people want it less. It becomes mm -hmm. less sexy, less appealing. We saw it in um, Portugal when they decriminalized all drugs. We saw it in Netherlands with kind of their their really great uh, pot laws. And over here in the States too, wherever there's legal pot, kids use less. Mm -hmm. um, there's been no state where people use more once it's become legal. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got decriminalized mushrooms in Denver now, and I don't believe we've seen an increase in use mm -hmm. in youth. Um, you know, mm -hmm. this, and the drug war is just ridiculous anyway. Like the the fact that we're regulating what we can put in our mouths or in our bodies is absurd. Like, yeah. um, if you just look at the history of prohibition, for alcohol prohibition, like all of that money that was in the legal sector just transitioned over into the black market sector. Like there was far more in Times Square, there was far more speakeasies during Prohibition than there were bars before Prohibition. Mm. It's like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, you're just pretty much perpetuating violence and, and harm across the world by perpetuating the drug war. Like the deaths in Colombia because of the drug war are out of control. Like Colombia is really hurt because mm. of the cocaine trade. And it's not because of Americans' mm. appetites for cocaine. It's because of the drug war. It's mm. not people's fault. Is how I like to put it. It's government. It's responsibility to have a holistic picture here. Hire the best PhDs you can. What's the mm -hmm. best thing for the most people? It's legalizing all drugs. It's not. Really? Oh. It's, it's a really hard argument to say that people should go to jail for substances. That you're not punching somebody. You didn't shoot somebody. You passed them a little baggie with drugs. Like really? And they want it. Like what, what on earth is the problem here? I, I'm for regulated markets where you know what you have is safe. There's yeah. A lot of people who don't believe in that. Um, but I, yeah. I agree. And I remember years, years back, do you, do you remember Salvia? Salvia okay. was, yeah, you were able to get Salvia over the counter. And back then it was always so like amazing to me that you could just buy this because I would see my friends take it. I never actually got the chance to take it. 
but I would see them take it and it was like a 15 minute potent trip and I was like how the hell did they just buy this mm-hmm. and then I remember K2 K2 came along and that was another Yikes. one you could just buy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah there was That's a lot dangerous. of things where it's just like how did they get how did this get like through whatever laws there is but it's so strange right. what they decide to attack and what's cool to me is that you, I asked you a question, you just listed so many trials and things that are happening here in the US ton. with it. And what's up? I missed a ton too. Yeah, and but it's like, so I, I was on Google, I was researching for this interview and all I typed in was psychedelics on Google. First thing that comes up is there's this one like congressman in DC who's like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to not allow it to be decriminalized in Washington DC. But then there was nothing, I didn't really see anything about trials or any of the things that you listed. It's so hard to find that information unless you like actually go out and look for it. If you just do a quick search, what you're gonna find is like, you know, politicians saying like, we're not gonna allow this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's um, it's a really uncomfortable thing. Um, a lot of social media platforms don't let us advertise there. Um, Google won't take our advertising dollars. Um, Facebook will for some reason. So it's um, it's a really weird, manipulated landscape. Um, the media is getting interested in these things because I think a lot of folks um, who are running TV stations and newspapers like tried psychedelics when they were in college. Mm-hmm. Like that old guard kind of is gone and the new guard is in and they've got experience. So they're like, oh, cool. Hopkins has this new study that they put out their results for. Let's cover that. Or this mm-hmm. like kind of straight laced looking professor is doing tons of research in psychedelics. That's really interesting. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 a whole ball of wax. I'm, I'm hopeful because mainstream writers like Michael Pollan are even getting attention regarding psychedelics now kind of mainstream speaker that'll charge like 50k for a speaking appearance mm-hmm. you know like oh you come to denver for 50k and talk to us for a couple hours cool <laughs> <laughs> like, all right so it's like people at that level of fame are mm-hmm. um getting in and i i think that's an overall good thing for the movement we don't always agree on everything mm-hmm. um i have had some arguments not with him but about him <laughs> in the past because mm-hmm. not necessarily as liberal um, as me in terms of like, okay, let's look at how bad the drug war is. Like that mm-hmm. to me is, is the thing. It's not how safe psychedelics are. It's like, how, look how horrible the drug war is. Mm-hmm. And it's just a waste of money. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. It's ruined so many lives. Like you live yeah. in New York, like just the pot arrests in New York are outrageous. Stop and frisk. Like all this shit is unbelievable. It's because of the drug war. Yeah. And then I, I've seen like documentaries here and there about, um, so in Colombia, my wife is Colombian and, um, you know, the farmers out there who they coffee, isn't that profitable to grow. It's not very easy to grow. So what do they do? They switch over and they'll start, um, planting and growing coca and stuff. And it's just literally a means to them for, for them to make an end because they're uneducated. Usually, uh, you know, they put their kids to start helping and working at very young ages. So they just drop out of school and that's all they know. And it's crazy how bad like the drug war has really just crushed rural areas down in Latin America. So I I agree with you. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and has shared the show with a friend or a loved one. A special thank you to our guest, Joe Moore, for coming on the show. Like I said at the beginning, this is only part one of the full interview. So make sure you subscribe so you get notified when part two drops next week. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at A Pretty Normal, and message me if you'd like to come on the show or if there's any topic at all that you want me to cover. 
My name is Xavier Diaz, and this was a Pretty Normal Podcast.